Welcome to Cardboard Conjecture. We're a podcast about board games where we have opinions and conclusions formed on the basis of incomplete information. This episode of Cardboard Conjecture is brought to you by these great Saskatoon businesses. Amazing Stories Comics on 8th Street, Dragon's Den Games on 8th Street, and Breakout Escape Rooms on Faithful Avenue. Hey there, I'm your host Norm and this is the Cardboard Conjecture Podcast. And on this episode we're going to do some games of late, a few games of late, and we're going to do some reviews where I review Ginkopolis and Maquis. And no, I'm not talking Maquis from Star Trek Voyager. Yeah, Chakotay is pretty cool. Cardboard Conjecture is proudly sponsored by... Amazing Stories Comics on 8th Street in Saskatoon. They are the winner of the Joe Schuster Award for Best Comic Book Store in Canada, and they were also nominated in 2016 for the U.S. Eisner Spirit of Comics Retailer Award, presented at Comic-Con. Amazing Stories' amazing collection of comic books, board games, puzzles, and collectibles can be found in their store or on their new online website. Welcome back. This is Cardboard Conjecture. I'm your host, Norm, and let's get into some games of late. And I had the opportunity to go to our uh, board game convention in Saskatoon called ToonCon, right? Saskatoon, ToonCon. Yeah, it's a bit of a leap. No, I'm joking. Uh, so yeah, we had the opportunity to play some board games this weekend, and uh, I kind of stayed tight to my group, right? I was, you know, and uh, played games with uh, Jeff and Dave and Jordan, much like we do Wednesdays, but we wanted to go and support. So what did we play? Uh, I've got three games to talk about, and I'm going to talk about them, you know, right away. So <laughs> um, the first one, Three Sisters, and that is uh, designed by Ben Pinchback and Matt Riddle and published by their new um, uh, publishing company, Motor City Games. Those two plus Adam Hill make uh, represent that company. And uh, Three Sisters is the second in the series of their Roland Wright, and the first one was uh, uh, Fleet the Dice Game, which I kickstarted and which I adore. It's so awesome. It's uh, Now let's go back to... Three Sisters. Uh, Three Sisters plays on that idea of cascading systems. They created a great uh, tableau of roll and write choices and landscape. Let's call it landscape because that works well with the Three Sisters. So they've developed this landscape tableau that is is interconnected in so much that uh, everything has the ability to cascade and affect another area or track within that landscape. And in this case, their landscape is divided into like a garden, perennials. You have the apiary. Uh, um, And I learned that's all about bees. Um, You have the fruit area, and you have a compost pile. You have a goods collection system. And you have the shed, which is probably, I mean, I would consider it, the engine or the potential kind of uh, um, uh, uh, NOS kit that you need for whatever strategy you're, you're working on the rest of that landscape. 
Now let's start off talking about this game by just looking at the box cover. And on the box cover, you have pumpkins, you have beans, and you have corn. And those three um, crops are considered to be called three sisters. And uh, how that works is it's that idea of partnership gardening. And I mean, there's other, there's other names for it, but the idea that there's a synergy uh, in, in that relationship. And the synergy exists where the corn, which is a, which is a staple, which a foundation of a lot of, a lot of agriculture, is the, as the stock itself is the structure that the beans will climb. Okay, so there's two now. Now the third one is the squash or the pumpkins. That uh, crop provides, if you've ever grown pumpkins or squash, big leaves. So that those that those leaves provide protection to the ground cover to protect the corn, which requires a lot of water, and the beans, which require the corn to be healthy so that they can, you know, grow up the corn stalk. So there's that balance of those three. And I think thematically speaking, they've brought it, they've, they've done a great job bringing it to the, that uh, landscape of, of Roland right in front of you because they've um, taken the DNA of Fleet the Dice game and have let it, you know, speaking thematically, let it groan a little bit and, uh, and have it be readapted or reinterpreted in this thematic setting and I think they've done a fantastic job at it. Um, you, you can't do everything, but, but the, ones, the things that you do pick uh, will contribute to creating this strong uh, uh, aspect garden. If you're going big into fruit, then you have a, a beautiful <laughs> um, uh, uh, checkbox of, uh, of fruit if you're big into gardening or perennials or if you try to balance all of them which is which is what this game is all about trying to have this nice delicate balance that each one doesn't take away but benefits the other how it works is because it's a rolling right so you roll the dice and they've used a rondelle system this time um, fleet the dice game before was you roll the dice and you take a pick of the dice and you evaluate the dice and that's it. This is much the same, but a little bit more. Um, you roll the dice, you put them on a rondelle, significant to where uh, this rotating gardener, which dictates the front of the line of the dice in, in the chronological display. And um, so you pick the first, there's two actions. You pick the dice, wherever it is on this rondelle, um, the first action you do is you take the pip value and you go and either plant or water in your garden in the zone denoted by the pip value. Now, the second action is underneath the area where you picked up that dice is, like I said, it's either, uh, again, planting or watering, or it is going to the market, or it is doing a shed action, or it is going to the... So it, it represents all of these other areas to focus on as far as the secondary action goes. And you include all of those little bonus stars which create that, that additional checkbox, and you start creating this wonderful cascade system that one provides you a lot of points but for me the most important thing it makes you feel smart <laughs> and that's what I like about this game so uh, thank you so much to Ben Pinchback and Matt Riddle for pushing this idea to the next level and I understand they're the third in this series is Motor City 
And, uh, and I apologize if, if I've identified the title wrong. But if you're really interested in, in this game and, and uh, uh, how Matt thinks about designing, uh, you can go back into the episodes and have a look at uh, the designer series with Matt Riddle. Moving on, let's go to the uh, uh, second pick that I... We played a few games, but I only want to talk about three. The next one is Rococo. And Rococo designed by Matthias Kramer and Stefan Maltz and Louis Maltz. Uh, came out in 2013. I play, I have the 2013 edition. I did not, and I bought, <laughs> I was fortunate enough to get the 2013 edition because uh, uh, a, f- a friend in the community was selling it because they had kickstarted the Eagle Griffin uh, uh, dress box version with a gorgeous Ian O'Toole art. Not going to diss it at all. Gorgeous. Absolutely gorgeous. But from what I understood, there's not much change in the game. So I jumped on the opportunity to get this first edition. And uh, so, yes, we played it. And we played it at full count at five players. And the previous experience uh, I had was uh, uh, a couple games at two players. Uh, not two players, four players. And uh, so five players. Wow. There's um, There's a lot of push and pull, focus, uh, area control. Now, let's quickly get to, I'll, I'll explain the, the thematicness of this. Uh, you are uh, dressmakers uh, and the, uh, getting ready for a prestigious ball at Versailles during Louis, the, 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 no, the nobility of France in Louis's court. And uh, yes, so you're dressing the nobles. Of course the nobles, there's going to be uh, uh, this push and pull area control in regards to, uh, um, you know, their influence with the king and prestige in the court. Uh, this is a strong, strong, strong deck building game because it's those cards and the ability to have an one or two extra turns in a round that can change the, uh, the approach and the engine that you develop for gathering points in this game. But it comes down to your dressmaking. So you got to start focusing on that aspect of the game. So there's a lot of uh, smaller recipe building, not big elaborate recipe building. And uh, yeah, I I am really digging this game. I understand now why Everlearn considers this a kind of a hallmark uh, as far as a Euro game, a hallmark kind of medium weight game. And uh, always fun. I'm having so much fun every time I play this game. It's one of those games where if you had the time, you would reset it and play it again. That's the kind of uh, uh, um, uh, itch and scratch of the itch in my brain that I get from this game. So yes, if you have the opportunity to play this game, I highly recommend it. This episode of Cardboard Conjecture is proudly sponsored by Dragon's Den Games, located in the Louis VIII Mall on H Street in Saskatoon. Swing by Dragon's Den Games and let Darren, Al, and the awesome staff help you out in search for great board games, role-playing games, miniature systems, and all of the related accessories. Be a part of their gaming communities that have scheduled events in their great gaming area. Dragon's Den Games, Louis VIII Mall on 8th Street in Saskatoon. Well, 
moving on to a game that I thought I'd never get the opportunity to play. And uh, thank you, Dan, that you had this in your collection at ToonCon. Um, Village 2011. Man, a couple of, what was Rococo? Rococo is 2013. I was, this is like going back to the vault. So 2011, Village, designed by Inca and Marcus Brand and published by Eggert Spiel. Um, this is uh, send your villagers to work, travel, pray, and die when it brings the most renown. <laughs> this was this is a worker placement game that is bizarre to the fact that it's generational, and they say exactly what they mean when they say that your meeples will will. And I kept saying retire, no, um, that they they die, and uh, in their um, the the generational continuation, these meeples represent also the timer of the game, and this uh, as well as being area con- uh, as well as being a worker placement, it's kind of also an area control because there's only a certain amount of um, uh, what do they call it renown written into the book of the village kind of thing in the history. There's only a certain amount of spots in certain areas of the village's history that uh, will accept positions. And once those are filled up, then you go into the unmarked gravesite, which is another trigger of the game. And uh, yeah, yeah, this is uh, the way this game works. I want to play this game again. I definitely want to have the opportunity to play this game again because, uh, yeah, uh, Inca and Marcus Brand, they, they quietly... <laughs> at least from my perspective and my collection, they've quietly grown into having their own part because I have Murano and I love Murano. It's, it's, a, it's a wonderful take on a Rondell system uh, of gondola that goes around the board and Murano being you know part of that whole Venice kind of structure. Um, they, uh, they're so clever in their interpretations of mechanisms that this worker placement mechanism, wow, it was so cool. And also that uh, it's, it's worker placement in the uniqueness that once you put uh, a family member in an area or a building, they stay there. That's their job for their lifetime, potentially, until, until they retire <laughs> into, you know, the ground. Um, but as, uh, as far as the the mechanism and the cleverness goes yeah yeah that that was the instant uh pull that my brain took was was okay okay i get this you're level ones you need to they need to you know go work and then start being the seeds of those of that area control in the in the town's uh book of renown and uh yeah, it's it turns into a race of oh I gotta I gotta start putting some you know get some generations of workers out there which means I to get some going down and scoring me some points so there was uh, there was a lot of thought put into how this system uh, calibrates itself over over the span of the game so yeah that was that those were the three um, cool games that I played uh, lately at TuneCon. So, yeah, there you go. Hi. 
you like the content we're creating and the podcast episodes we're producing, please leave a happy rating on the podcast platform that you use. This would be such a great gift and would also help others find our podcast when they search for board game podcasts. And if you have the time, check out our new YouTube channel where we have new content every few days. Just search Cardboard Conjecture on YouTube. Thanks, eh? And welcome back. This is Cardboard Conjecture. It's time to get into some reviews. And the first review that I'm going to uh, take us through is Ginkopolis, designed by Xavier George and published by Pearl Games, art by Gail Lanurian. And uh, this game plays one to five players, approximate playtime of 45 minutes. And uh, I think they're, they're kind of close on that one. So before we get into even a more depth, I'm just going to quickly run through uh, what, what I do for the review. So I'll go through, as I did, the game details, then I'll quickly do an overview, most, most of the time provided by the publisher, because they do a great job in their writing, and uh, then get into some opinions, and then finish with some conclusions. So let's get on to the overview. In Ginkopolis, it's 22 12. Uh, Ginkgo biloba, the oldest and strongest tree in the world, has become the symbol of a new method for building cities uh, in symbiosis with nature. Humans have exhausted the resources that the earth offered them, and humanity must now develop cities that maintain a delicate balance between resource. Habitable space is scarce, however, and mankind must now face the challenge of building ever upwards. To develop this new type of city, you will gather a team of experts around you and try to become the best urban planner for Ginkopolis. In Ginkopolis, the city tiles come in three colors, yellow which provides victory points, red which provides resources, and blue which provides new city tiles. Some tiles start in play, and they're surrounded by letter markers that show where new tiles can be placed. On a turn, each player chooses a card from his hand simultaneously. Players reveal these cards, adding new tiles to the border of the city in the appropriate location or placing tiles on top of existing tiles. Each card in your hand that you don't play is passed on to your left-hand neighbor. So keep in mind how you play uh, to set up theirs. When you add a new tile in the city, you take a power card of the same color and these cards provide you additional abilities during the game, allowing you to scale up your buildings. And so how do you score points in this game? Let's go, let's do it in reverse order. Um, the end of game scoring is basically or predominantly the area control or area majority that goes on in the development of the city. So once the city starts growing out and these three colored zones start to grow and pop up randomly, all over, organically all over the board, the, uh, the, the, the areas are, are scored. Now, an area is considered minimum of two tiles that are touching orthogonally. And as far as you want to go, as long as they are, are orthogonally connected. Now, each orthogonally connected zone um, will be scored like this. You count up all of the pips of everybody that are in that zone. That is the value of the first player um, position. 
obviously those are the ones that have the most of those pips in that zone. The second scoring or the second place player, their score is only the amount of pips that they have in that zone. So it could be, depending how big that zone gets, that could be a lot of points. Now, as I get in, I'll get in a little deeper in the uh, the opinions and how, and the play of the game. Um, you can, like I said, it, it, if it's organically grown, it can also be organically broken apart. Uh, that's the cool part. I'll get into the unique mechanisms. Um, so that's one big way of scoring your points. Another way to score your points uh, are those power cards that they mentioned. Those power cards on the uh, on the bottom, um, they're bonus actions, and they're related into three categories. You either get a bonus action of uh, urbanization, which is growing with the letters, which is growing the tiles outwards, um, or construction, which is building the layers of the tiles, or exploitation. Those are the three actions, and I'll get a little deeper into that. Um, so in the bonus actions, those are the uh, bonus actions you get. So if you do a urbanization action, you will look down in your tableau to see how many urbanization bonus actions you can get. Now, they're always related to one of three things. You either get more points, you either get more resources, or you either get more tiles. Now, these tiles go from range of, chronologically speaking, and, and that's important when we get in, I talk about air control, they go from one to uh, either 20, or if you have the expansion, um, 23, I believe. And um, once you get past 10, the cards turn into end of game scoring conditions. So you can start to work on a specialized engine. Everybody can see what your end of game scoring conditions are. It's not a secret because your tablet is in front of you. You do have a screen that hides your ongoing points, ongoing resources, and ongoing tiles, right? Um, so that is another way you can score points. Another way you can score points is the idea of urbanizing. When I go to urbanize and I build uh, orthogonally to other tiles, like in other area uh, building or civilization building games, if I contribute to the growth, then I get a benefit from my neighbors. And in this case, you do get a benefit from your neighbors. And like I said, it comes down to these three things. It's either extra points, extra tiles, or extra resources. And the points is another way you can score. The last way you can score points is when we go into that uh, building part, you can kick out other people that you're building on top of their properties. Now, if I'm kicked out by somebody else, I get my, I don't lose big time. I lose the space, but I don't lose the effort gone into building that. I get those resources back and in compensation, I get a victory point for each resources that is returned to me. So those are the ways that you get victory points. And that's as straightforward as it goes on how you win the game. Um, yeah, well, I'll get into the game system, game style later, but let's get into some opinions. Okay, let's talk some opinions. Um, the uh, always, I like to look at the the outside in, right? Because that's we <laughs> we eat with our eyes, don't we? Um, so this is uh, um, your nine, probably your nine inch by twelve inch by three inch deep type box. Uh, the box cover art is, first of all, gorgeous. <laughs> um, it to me it reads like a like a uh, um, a movie, a cartoon. Not see, this is the thing. the The art isn't cartoon esque. It has some realism in it, but it also is obviously 
uh, a graphic image, right? A drawn image. Um, so it's not cartoony, but it has graphic novelish kind of feel to it. Uh, so on the box, there are enough clues for me to understand what is in, inside the box. I see uh, two um, workers that are obviously workers because one's holding a shovel and the other one has plants. And uh, they're looking at the environment. They're looking at the, the theme of this game, which is the ginkgo biloba tree. And in the background, I see the balance that they're talking about. I see construction. I see vertical construction. I see cranes in the background. And also within these constructions, I see trees that are incorporated within the architectural uh, uh, philosophy of this build. And uh, the first thing I thought of was, this is like Dr. Seuss civilization building, right? Um, that's kind of what the buildings kind of remind me of. They're, they're very organic. They're very curved. There's no angular uh, um, kind of imagery going on here and uh, no, no sharpness, a lot of roundness. And uh, yeah, uh, I get a good sense of, 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 uh, of pleasure that I see off this, off this uh, art. So thank you so much. Let's get into the components. Uh, not too much to say about the components. Big chunky tiles, uh, wooden resource, hexagonal column, kind of Euro uh, uh, chits, good cards. Uh, in, in my uh, uh, show, I have a show and tell now on, uh, on the YouTube channel. And I use the term that the cards are not cupped like Home Depot lumber. So that's a good thing. I like nice cards that have a, have a good flatness to them and they do a good job. So happy with the components. Very happy. The rule book uh, reads well. The rule book has great separation from the background foreground. It is stepped out. And when I mean stepped out, it is one, two, three, four. There's uh, great visual blocks in regards to um, keeping your eye on certain areas at certain times as you progress through. The, the, the language, yeah, I had no problems with the language. And uh, a lot of good examples after they explain the 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 concepts and they didn't go into too they didn't have to go into too much elaboration into the rules because it was a very tight rule structure so wonderful 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 uh now yeah we'll quickly run through the game system and game style so this is um yeah this is card drafting this is simultaneous action selection this is tile placement area control there's, uh, yeah, there's, there's hidden information. So let's rewind a bit. So card drafting, how this starts off is, of course, you have a first player. You have four of the cards that are represent the deck. Now, the deck itself, the build of the deck is all of the um, letters of the alphabet that are on the perimeter of your starting nine, which are three red, three blue, three yellow, one, two, and three. Those cards are in the in the... Uh, um, the common public draw deck. You shuffle those, each player gets four. Um, how you, I mean, there's drafting that you can get to that point. I, uh, I, again, I went a little too further because I'm thinking of the solo game. In the, in the multiplayer game, you start off with workers, as they say here, that you have a team of specialists. Um, everyone get, gets dealt out four cards, and you card draft 
um, you select one of the workers, you pass it to the left, you get a set of three from the next, you select another one out of that, and you whittle your way down until you have three, and then the last one goes into the bin. You put those three uh, workers out in front of you, and they're the ones that start off your bonus action tableau. So you might have the choice of going, I want one bonus action in each of those categories so I can start off with a balanced approach. Or you might say, I want three in one area because ah, that's, that's my focus right now. Okay? Um, I've, seen, I've seen many people get successful on, on both strategies. So uh, that's the card drafting in regards to getting set up. The same principle is applied when you start off with your first hand of cards from the, from the common pile. Um, once the game starts and you have your four, uh, you pick a card, you put it face down in front of you, depending on what card you, or what action you pick, and I'll explain that, you either don't put a, a tile face down, uh, or you do put a tile face down on the card out in front of you to indicate that everybody has locked in their selection. Once all selections are locked in, you start off with the first player, and you reveal and uh, evaluate your action. In those actions, there's three things you can do. I had mentioned, uh, I kind of mentioned all of them. Urbanization is when you play a new tile from behind your board, uh, behind your screen, onto the common civilization uh, uh, city that's being grown, and you get to pick what orthogonal collection. As this connection to it, as this grows, you might be able to put your tile into a corner where you're orthogonally touching two. That's a good benefit. You might even get into, I've called it a cul-de-sac situation where you your new tile is surrounded by three. You put it in, You if there's exposed perimeter on the new tile that you've created, uh, if there's more than one edge, you get to choose where you extend that letter to have this amoeba-like growth happen. That is urbanization. When you put your tile down, depending on how many resources are on the orthogonally connected tiles, you gain those resources. That's pretty much it. The next one is exploitation. Uh, that's straightforward. Whatever card you're holding, whatever resource is represented of that card, you get those resources. And depending on how many um, uh, either, um, well, again, it's layers and the layers are represented on resources, you get that many. Um, and again, with urbanization too, if there's, if there's more layers and, and uh, resources, you benefit more. Uh, that's pretty much exploitation. And then the last one is construction, and you build on top of. Now, here's the cool part. This is where the new uh, information and new resources come into the game. So when I, here's the scenario. If I build on top, I'm holding a two blue card, right? There's nobody there right now. So if there's no, no resource on it, it's always considered one, one level, one resource. Uh, if I was to put a second level on, I would have to put two resources on. Now, the rule is I have to follow the same color or the same you know, uh, uh, area, and I have to progress chronologically speaking upwards rather than negatively speaking, positively speaking, right? Um, so if I can follow those, I don't get uh, uh, a penalty. If I change, and again, I can. If I change color, I have to pay an extra resource. If I... Let's say the number that is the tile of the card I have that I'm building on is a 10, and I'm putting down a 5, which is negatively 
uh, um, you know, on the chronological scale, I have to pay the difference in victory points. So you can break the rules at a cost. Sometimes that cost is a strategic blow and, 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 and crack on the spine of a area that's starting to grow large. And you can come in right in the middle and go, I am this blue zone that has 15 complete, you know, total resources and you're winning. Uh, right in the middle, I'm going to put a yellow and I don't mind paying all of the penalties to break up that huge payout. That's the chaos that I'll talk about later. And I say that with a big smile on my face. Um, so those are the three um, actions uh, in that whole card drafting idea. Once you play, uh, every, once everybody evaluates their cards, then the first player takes the first player card, the three cards that they had, and they pass them to the left. Starting with the first player, you pick a card off the pile and you replenish and you rinse and repeat. Now, here's where the new blood comes in. If I'm adding an urbanization tile or if I'm adding a construction tile, I will also put a little construction crane meeple on top of it to indicate that when the draw pile runs out and we have to, you know, shuffle and, and redeal, the new cards, these new tiles, don't have new cards representative in this uh, a pile because when you build on top, the card that you're building on has no more need to be in the draw pile because it doesn't exist anymore, and that's when it goes into your tableau. Thus, how you start to build this, ace, a, this uh, asymmetric engine compared to everybody else. Now, um, yeah, that's basically what's going on in there. Now, the simultaneous action I told you uh, is great because until you until everybody starts locking in their 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 uh, their choice for that that round, you the predictability of what happens on that board. I've I've also talked about this the chaos on that main board very much like five tribes because in five tribes if I'm the fourth player if I start planning what I want to do in player one's turn by the time it comes to me. That board has changed completely. That is the same potential that is in this game when it comes to simultaneous action selection. I enjoy that because now again, I'll give you a warning at the end. If you're a person who likes strategically planning like an Excel spreadsheet, the outcome of your work, you're going to have some problems with this game. <laughs> um, and I say that lovingly, right? So let's keep moving on. Tile placement. Um, <laughs> pardon me. We've just talked about the, the, the two ways that you can put tiles on the board, right? Um, that's, pretty much, that's pretty much the, the, the uh, approach to that mechanism. I like it, uh, and so much so that uh, it, I'll draw more attention to it in the unique mechanism part of it. So uh, let's keep going. Area control and the area majority. Such a push-pull uh, um, in this game, and it's all... I'm not a big fan of randomness. But I am a big fan of, of if there's going to be randomness, as long as it's even throughout everybody playing the game, right? Because, you know, dice hate me. <laughs> um, but there is this randomness that you are able to control in a certain manner because of, uh, of that screen. You can hang on to these higher, this higher numeric value tiles uh, to put onto the board to declare 
you know, I'm going to have presence in this area. And if you want to take it away, it's going to cost you. Right. Um, so there's a great push pull in that aspect of that hidden, hidden information balanced with the randomness. Um, I love the power struggle that goes on during the organic build of this, this city um, because of, I mean, you could start something in, uh, on an urbanize uh, on the perimeter that could all of a sudden have a turn and connect into a new zone and overwhelm a different color. So, yeah, yeah, I like the, what did I term it here? The late game switch. Right as I described uh, in in my <laughs> in my idea of tile building, that you can look at a zone and see the tiles that you have behind your screen and strategically plan to sabotage at a certain point in the game the uh, um, the, the the work <laughs> and the the approach and the discipline of other players just by taking your time with it. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's that's the game system. Now, if you can find a balance, I've often said that for me, I enjoy this game because I I enjoy trying to tactically navigate through chaos. Trying to, it's sort of like leaving a, a big uh, either a, you know a big sporting event or a big concert event when when we had them. That following that 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 crowd flow, that, that river flow of people where all of a sudden there's a gap and whoop, you get to move 10 feet ahead. That's the feel that I get from this game. That It's, ha the, it's moving, whether I, I like it or not. The areas and the influence and the growth of this city is going to move. I have to decide when and where I move through it. That's my approach to this. Um, see, that's my, see, it's a good opinion, I think. If you think like me. So let's get to the uniqueness of this game. Um, the I think the uniqueness for me, and I mean, it, I don't know if it's happened in other games, but that vertical tile um, uh, building in relationship to the area's control and area's influence. And the also, if you're building and layering, then the choice of card that you're putting in your tableau has to also um, synergistically connect to your engine. So you can't just, I mean, you can, but at what cost? You can't just plop a tile in to disrupt somebody else's stuff if it doesn't work with the system you're trying to establish and create. So there, again, it comes back to this thematic connection with, with the game itself in this idea of your balance with the organic nature of the growth of the civilization in relationship to your dominance or your presence in there. And there has there that's to me what's going on a lot with this game. I might be seeing too much into it, but that's what I see. Um, yeah, to me, that's uh that's very unique because as well as that positive idea of, of the of the growth and allowing this these areas to develop there is also the ability to blindside the dis and disrupt the growth of other players. Um, and uh, that can be frustrating. So that's, as we get into the conclusions, that's kind of what the little bit of the warning. Um, does this all connect? I kind of just explained that, yeah, I think this all connects in regards to what they've, what they've they set out for their, 
the 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 game's manifesto that this is a balance between um, production and consumption and and nature and this delicate balance between them, and I think it does a great job uh, of reflecting um, this the thematic and the mechanical. And again, this is a euro, so if there's theme, well done, <laughs> and if there's color. Well done. <laughs> and I'm thinking about Dave, who thinks that if it's not uh, taupe and khaki, uh, as far as the board and the colors go, it's not Euro. This is vibrant. This is clever. This is theme built together. This is a great Euro if you like that idea that I mentioned about that tacticalness uh, 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 in regards to the chaos. So, um, coming to conclusions. Yeah, yeah. There's three things I want to talk about in my conclusions. Um, this was one of my... Uh, first of all, Xavier George is one of my favorite designers. Um, this was one of my big heartbreaks because this was the... When I first got into the hobby, I discovered what out of print means. <laughs> this was a game that I saw a lot of playthroughs. I, I did my homework. Um, I... I I fell in love with the puppy before I realized that there that you can't get it. And um, now once it was re-released and I have it in my collection, I have much joy um, because of this whole, you know, I've, I finally got the, the plaid unicorn. Um, uh, so yeah, that's check one. Check two um, is, uh, so check one and check two, Xavier George game and an out of print copy. Um, the check three is, like I said, I enjoy, um, I enjoy chaos. <laughs> it's sort of like, I, I enjoy staring at a Jackson Pollock painting and all of a sudden going, oh, I think I see something. <laughs> so that's kind of the sense that I had mentioned too in this game that if you like five tribes and you like the idea that that it's not a strategic long plan game. It is a have an idea what you want to do in regards to your engine and how that engine can help you navigate through this chaos or be the engine of chaos through this game and be the one who causes disruption um, and, 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 you know, just like shake the table and see what happens kind of philosophy, right? Um, if you like those things, then absolutely give this game a try. If you do not like chaos or or sudden uh, changes of blindside disruption, then I would say watch people play this game before you make a decision. Um, as far as I'm concerned, top shelf game. I have so much fun. The solo play is fantastic because it is the penultimate experience of chaos because the AI does not pay penalties and builds wherever and whenever it wants. So yes, I'm so happy that I purchased this game. Thumbs up, top shelf, Ginkopolis. This episode is supported by the incredible team at Breakout Escape and Board Game Lounge here in Saskatoon. Using industry-leading technology, Breakout Escape escape rooms are all 100% uniquely designed by the team to ensure their patrons have maximum fun while staying safe. As well, they are a fully licensed board game lounge with over 400 titles to select from to ensure fun for every gamer, new and experienced. 
be sure to check them out at breakoutsass.com. At Breakout Escapes and Board Game Lounge, they believe that life is more fun when you play games. Let's now take a look at Maquis. Designed by Jake Staines and published by Side Room Games. Well, uh, it is a one-player solo game. It plays approximately 30 minutes, and yes, I would say that is pretty accurate. Sometimes it's even shorter if I'm playing the game. <laughs> and uh, it is, uh, as I said in the uh, in the in the description and the details. Or sorry, the details. Let's get to the uh, overview. And how you win the game. So provided by the publishers in Maquis, you are a member of the Resistance, a small band of freedom fighters attempting to dismantle the Nazi occupation of France during World War II. The Axis-controlled government has installed a paramilitary unit called La Milice, tasked with policing the populace and fighting the Resistance. Should the Resistance prove to be formidable, the government will not hesitate to call in the German military to stamp out dissent. You have 15 days to complete two missions before the occupation discovers you. If successful, the resistance has won. However, if the town's morale drops to zero or all 15 days run out, the occupation succeeds in crushing the resistance. Engage the Nazi occupation of France in une petite guerre to throw off the yoke of oppression and free your homeland. Yes, very dramatic. Well, that is the... Um, the overview of the game and kind of dimensionally how it works in regards to how you win, how you lose. Uh, let's uh, let's basically look at uh, what this game is all about. So the components. Um, I'll, let's start off with the the way that I like to look at it, and this is from the outside in. And uh, so Maquis is a solo only game. It is probably the um, a five inch by eight inch by you know inch and a half kind of small box game now the art on it is fantastic and who's the artist here let me just check this out Ilya Baronovsky and Jake Staines I hope I, I, I pronounced your uh, your names properly and um, the artwork first of all uh, I, I've, I mean I think I've said it a, a whole bunch of times uh, I'm a history social studies teacher uh, this is uh, the the war eras are, uh, uh, are one of the uh, one of the focused uh, teaching areas that I like, and uh, in this case, and of course, I uh, uh, myself am French Canadian, and so there's there's this connection, this linguistic language connection, and and of course, you know, um, heritage wise, uh, France, World War II, the French Resistance, and I was thinking of when I was going to mention this and when I wasn't going to mention it, but I might as well mention it now so that it's in your heads as I talk about this game and where it pings on my head. Now, a childhood friend of mine, his father, when he was 18, 19, I believe, um, and again, as I mentioned, uh, French-Canadian community here in Saskatoon, uh, and uh, the, Mr. Sirwa, when he was uh, 19, 20, fought in World War II, and because of his ability to uh, integrate linguistically uh, in, in the French community, uh, basically was undercover, worked uh, as a, uh, um, uh, you know, a Canadian soldier working undercover with the French underground. 
And there was a story that um, had, you know, been told and uh, that there, they, everyone called it the train station story. And uh, he um, was at a train station. They were getting ready to depart. Uh, he was in civilian attire. He had two suitcases, one with his civilian you know, um, uh, luggage, and the other one, radio communications equipment, which had, now again, as they're approaching and they're checking papers and so on and so forth, um, there was, uh, it was always described that this was one of those moments that you read about, you see in movies, but he, it was lived by um, my, my childhood friend's father. And uh, um, out of circumstance, they they did not check him. They went by. Had they checked the bags, that that would have been that would have been you know, it kind of moment. So my my nostalgic connection to this content is com- going to be completely subjectively different than everybody else's. Take and understand that as I continue to talk about this game, I will also talk about it from the perspective of a history teacher and. Um, uh, yeah, so let's get into it. Big, uh, context, big foundational context in, in, in my approach to this review. Uh, the box cover to me has, I, I'm always going to talk about indicators because it's like a movie poster. It's like a movie trailer. You have to hit targets to put together the clues for someone to see what you're trying to, and, and I don't apologize for saying this, what you're trying to sell us because you are trying to sell this to us. And, uh, it, and I always say, we eat with our eyes, right? And uh, I think uh, um, that the, the choice of artistic style or genre style meets that era. And again, the only, time, the only reason I have any kind of connection is because as a kid, I remember me- reading comics and that was, that was very much the, and I'm not gonna say blotchy style because as far as reproductions go, that's the technology that they had, artistically speaking. So uh, it was, yeah, it it, it 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 rings for me of that era. The uh, the fact that there's a French flag, the fact that there's resistance symbols, all of that connects. Wonderful, yay! I, and Maquis. If you do if you do any kind of homework, you will see again there's a uh, a connection. So well done. Homework has been achieved. There's an A plus right there. You get a star. <laughs> um, the components, uh, you know, for a small game, this is what I appreciated the most. The the map of the city is a uh, like a you know your typical board foldout, but it goes to like a seven by ten kind of. It's just a little you know not not huge, but they did double layer cardboard. Yay! Thank you. Because on the left-hand side is the day tracker with the little uh, wooden cube. Uh, awesome. Like I, As far as components go, yes, you guys did a fantastic job. And I'm going to continue saying why. You did a double-layer main board. There are three rooms that you can uh, build different uh, 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 assets, right? You can build counterfeiters. You can build another safe house. Um, they are also drop into this double layer board. Yay! With little with little finger uh, punch out clip out, so you can easily pull these things out. A lot of thought went into practical choices. Yes, awesome. Uh, the art on the board, uh, it's perfect. It's, it's exactly what you need. It does not 
detract and it and it yeah it does a good job like a spice it just adds to it right um the rule book fantastic right i mean there's 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 not many pages to it and it's pretty straightforward the there there's the right amount of images to help you visually connect the ideas that they're speaking about great job the game system um like it says just worker placement i saw more mechanical um, um, parts to this game than just worker placement. So I said it twice, I'll say it a third time. This is a worker placement game. And I'm going to say sorry, John. <laughs> but man, I think you'd like this because just think of it as action point selection or action selection. You know, trick yourself. Um, so you have a map of uh, uh, um, uh, 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 Paris, I believe, and uh, you have uh, 17 to 18 different spots in that map that you can go to for different things, as in a good worker placement. Now, there is that worker placement part. There's also a networking, like a, a route building idea, because the streets are all connected and because certain you can only go certain ways. Now, the route building doesn't come in the fact that, oh, there's, a, you know, there's, you, the streets are connected. No, the route building comes into uh, how you connect your escape routes back to the safe house without, uh, without being blocked or cut off by uh, the milice or the police, or sorry, the soldiers, right? So there's that route, there, that aspect. Um, there's mission fulfillment or recipe fulfillment in regards to the missions that you get, right? That's awesome. Uh, there, you know what? Solo gaming has become its own mechanism, I would say, and you could kind of slot it or shoulder it right beside cooperative because every cooperative game I know, I can play solo. So those are, in my opinion, um, the the mainstays of uh, of this uh, the the mechanical structure of it. And I'm uh, oh, and I'm missing one more. Um, I think it mechanically speaks to game system is a variable board with those, with those three empty rooms uh, and your ability to build different assets in those rooms. There's, there's great variability in this, in this small box game. Uh, I'm don't spoiler alert. I'm gushing already. <laughs> okay. Uh, let me kind of go into a little bit more depth on, 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 their approach to all of these mechanisms. So uh, uh, here, everybody, have a sip of coffee or tea or whatever beverage you have. So worker placement, like I said, the mechanism responds to the practical thematic purpose, that there's checkpoints, there's areas of importance, there's objectives to complete, or there are assets to obtain to complete object objectives that contribute to your mission uh, connection. Now, um, what I also think is uh, pretty, coo pretty cool, but uh, um, kind of unique, uh, and I might, might talk about that a little bit, um, is if you can't make it back to your safe house, you get arrested, and that meeple comes off the board for the whole game. <laughs> so you start off with three. You have the ability to recruit two more. So out of, out of a pool of five in 15 days... It, there's yeah there's attrition there's serious attrition going on so uh that's the first i mean outside of village in regards to that generational attrition 
Um, this is another interesting way of attrition when, in, in regards to the, the meeples uh, and your store of them. So yeah, the mission fulfillment is uh, a, a recipe fulfillment aspect of the game system, uh, I think is great. They have part, part of the, on the top of the board, there's, there's roads, uh, two roads that go uh, off the board and that's where your two mission cards you know, fall into. And uh, basically kind of the road leads into this mission. And there are two introductory missions. There are a pool of, I think, four or five level one missions. And then there are six level two missions and then four level three missions. And so the variability is amazing. And with that variability to me comes the, uh, the, the idea that I can, my, on my own, create my own kind of campaign series, right? And, and lay them out and go, all right, I have my own little micro campaign that I've divided uh, uh, blindly dropping all these cards into, you know, staged uh, segments of this campaign and I can develop my own campaign. Um, maybe we should talk. <laughs> uh, the history teacher in me is, is kind of, uh, the, the eyes widened up uh, like, like an espresso shot. Um, so, the uh, I quite enjoy the, the 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 crazy variability because in those missions that dictates what buildings or what rooms that you require or that you need to build. So the, I love how how that uh, that synergistically connects. Um, moving on as far as uh, uh, other kind of like I said mechanisms going in here, the route building I had mentioned uh, to me that is some of the most difficult decisions and push your luck on that too is, okay, I can't make a complete snake of, of connected uh, resistance fighters. I'm going to have to risk it and I'm going to have to go off the path a little bit, hoping that none of the uh, patrols pop in. Now, um, I'll quickly mention how that system happens. It's a straightforward system. I choose a place, then the patrol deck I flip over a card. There are three priority um, spots on the board that the patrol will go. I first look at number one. If it's open, I go there. If it's not open, meaning that I'm there or another patrol is there, I go to the next selections. If I go through that list and there are no openings, I go back to the top of the list and I go out to arrest people. So if I go to the first one for arrest and it's another patrolman, I don't arrest them. That's how you can get, that's where that attrition happens. I can get caught out of sight during setup. <laughs> that is stressful. Every time the card flips over, there is anxiety in this game. Wonderful anxiety in this game. Um, so, yeah, that's that whole route building. Push your luck, right? Um, do you wait till the last meeple to do that whole? You're, I gotta, you got to go to the other side of town and you're on your, on your own trying to find your way back kind of thing. Um, now, there's two rule breakers, uh, in, in, again, in that whole ability to safely find your way back to the safe house. If you cannot make your way back and you have a gun, you may use the gun on the milice because they're civilians. Um, militia, is, that's what the word means in French. Um, and uh, you can remove them from the board. If you do that, town morale drops, which is one of the contributing things to end of game condition. And gets replaced by a soldier and the soldiers you cannot do that to and they you know that idea of they're professionals you, they're not easily uh, you know uh, um, they don't easily lose a gunfight 
So there's that balance of, do you do that? Now, again, there's one more rule break here in regards to getting back to the safe house. You have a room or a resource you can build that gives you papers, um, uh, um, uh, plagiarized documentation to get by the, 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 the setup, uh, you know, checkpoint. Um, yeah, but that costs you time and you have 15 days. So I'm, I'm getting all anxious just thinking about it. So that's that whole idea of route building and getting back. The variable game board, I mean, I've talked about it. Don't need to talk about it anymore. I love the idea that you have so many different, you know, rooms to pick in regards to resources and where to put them in the board because this city is divided into, uh, there's a river that runs through it. And uh, if you're on the wrong side, safe house on the other side, you're captured, right? Big choices to make. Um, yeah, as far as, yeah, that the, the variability, boom, done with that. The solo aspect, like every good solo mechanism, multiple ways to lose, one way to win. One way to win, finish your missions inside the time. Way to lose, run out of, run out of days. Another way to lose, run out of morale. Another way to lose, run out of resistance fighters. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that is uh, your typical solo and kind of cooperative mechanism. Um, the, uh, the, the, the negative track, like the morale, I think is the one that you don't expect to be such a, uh, um, a contributing factor to your demise because as the days progress, the intervals on this track, there are, I think, uh, first of all, it's like, uh, every four days, there's going to be a morale drop in the city. And as you progress closer to the to the day 15, that tightens up and every third day there's a morale drop. So it ratchets up very fast. Um, yeah, unique mechanisms. Um, the AI's ability to upgrade, right, I think is, is a uniqueness. That whole idea of if I choose to eliminate a milice, uh, a, a, a militia, um, you know, uh, meeple, it gets replaced by an even more powerful meeple. That makes so many difficult decisions happen um, during gameplay. The, uh, uh, you know, in regards to those uh, the arrests in, re in, the, in the placement of the meeples, just the way the AI uses their side innately in this, in this design. Um, so, yeah, and not and and the, the other unique thing uh, that I like about this game, and not that it's unique, but I think they do a very clever job at uh, at uh, uh, employing this mechanism, which is the variability, the the rooms. There are more rooms than you need, and in my head, sometimes I'm thinking, um, there's gotta be there's gotta be a, a, you know a dud of a room or something that's just it looks good but it doesn't do anything it doesn't help out uh, or that I've got to play through enough missions to go the there's there's room specific resources for specific missions um, now I just more gameplay and I will get more gameplay I promise you that um, so yeah conclusions uh, this thematically speaking does a great job for engaging me in a topic that has multi dimensions of nostalgia and impact for me that uh, as far as solo games, even small box games, top shelf. Um, you know what? Even if I have to build a really nice big top shelf because I have so many top shelf games, 
this is uh, a game that I'm so glad that I uh, backed on Kickstarter and I'm so glad I have in my collection and I'm so happy that uh, this game plays 30 minutes. So there, you have the ability to just run through a whole bunch of scenarios in this, like I said, this pre-developed campaign. So uh, my conclusion, very happy, very um, glad that the designers and the production company did their homework and, uh, and I, I, I totally appreciate the tension that this game brings. So yes, yes, top shelf game for me. That is Maquis, designed by Jake Staines and published by Side Room Games. And we're at that point in the podcast where I like to say thank you so much for listening and uh, the, uh, I, I hope what I had to uh, contribute um, made sense and uh, that you enjoyed it. And so that being said, I'm your host, Norm, and we'll catch you later. This has been an episode of Cardboard Conjecture, and we are Bridge City Board Gamers. And you can find us on Facebook at Bridge City Board Gamers Saskatoon. You can find us on YouTube, Bridge City Board Gamers. We are also on Twitter, at BC Board Gamers. And of course, Board Game Geek, Guild number 3039.